Hello and welcome to episode 52 of Linux Downtime. I'm Joe. I'm Martin. I'm Hayden. Good to talk to you again, chaps. So today, I want to grill you, Hayden. I want to grill you on why you are the WSL guy. Why do you hate desktop Linux or proper Linux? Why do you love WSL so much? So a bit of background for this. Martin is the Ubuntu Mate guy. Like Martin, you will do anything you can to stay on the Linux desktop. You've tried all the other platforms and you just love Linux desktop, right? Yeah, I do. I am very comfortable here now. I've spent enough time with desktop Linux that I feel uncomfortable and incompetent elsewhere. Right. So Hayden, why are you the WSL guy? What is it that draws you to that platform? So I think some history is in order. I, of course, grew up using Windows as my predominant operating system. I found Linux as a teenager, of course, fascinated by it. Eventually, I transitioned to Mac OS, then Mac OS X, and was actually a Mac user for many, many years, beginning with a Mac Mini G3 up until about 2016. So what I really liked on the Mac platform was the underlying Unix layer with a consumer UI and a marketplace, both the App Store and a commercial ecosystem of supported apps, in addition to open source apps available through things like Brew and other projects. And this whole time you were still using Linux on servers and stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah. VPSs and little projects of my own. Yeah, I never left Linux, but as my primary driver, I really appreciated the balance of a Nix terminal with a consumer UI. And it was the MacBook Pro keyboard that was introduced in the 2016 edition, the butterfly keyboard, and I could not stand it. And of course, everyone heard all the reports about the failure rate, and I didn't like the travel distance. It just wasn't for me. So surprisingly, I went out and gave ThinkPads a try, and I absolutely loved the keyboard. And I gave Desktop Linux a try. It's good. It's definitely come a long way. Things like System D and Pulse Audio and now Pipewire, Wayland, I think have all been big advances in making it commercially acceptable. Flatpaks, Snaps, app stores like the one on elementary OS. Integrators have certainly advanced it significantly from the days back when I used to have to recompile my kernel to support my Rage 128 card, which was my first experience with Linux, was (laughs) here, install Linux, learn what the kernel is, learn how to rebuild it, and get it running to get to a desktop. But I've just come to appreciate when I want to get things done, the balance of having access to a Linux terminal, but a consumer grade interface where I can just get my other work done. And yes, there are people like Martin and many, many others who are perfectly comfortable and can get things done perfectly well on desktop Linux. And I don't necessarily see WSL as a huge competitor to that. I see WSL as basically another slice of the Linux pie. You know, we have desktop Linux, server Linux, embedded Linux, 
all these uses of Linux, I mean, let's even include things like Chromium OS and Android, so many different iterations of Linux. And I see WSL as just another iteration. I think I'll come back to the idea of running Linux on another platform in just a moment. I'm interested, though, in the the way that you transitioned to Windows was through some unsatisfactory hardware, which was an uncharacteristic drop on Apple's part. So if if we were to look today at the sort of the landscape, let's imagine keyboard Nirvana on Mac OS, you know, is there any reason why you wouldn't be attracted back to Mac OS today as opposed to using Windows and WSL to get your Linux life? Well, I think Apple has addressed the keyboard issues and, you know, the M1 series is very powerful, but I personally have found the unique combination of Windows and Linux, like chocolate and peanut butter to be an intoxicating mix to be productive as a developer as an engineering manager and in my personal projects to have access to the best of both worlds yeah because in a way mac os is kind of like splitting the difference isn't it it's you've got most applications available and you've got enough unix stuff there to give you just enough whereas i can see with windows you've got this entire catalog of software going back 25 years that works like you can run old 32-bit binaries and they just work still i mean i've got music software that old that still works and yet you've got proper linux as well you've got a proper linux terminal you can create proper elf binaries and stuff with even with wsl1 you could do that and with wsl2 you've got this tightly integrated linux virtual machine and so, uh, yeah, I can kind of see the appeal of that then over something like macOS, which is a bit of a halfway house. Yeah. You've got expanding integrations with things like code, Docker desktop, the JetBrains IDEs. A lot of tools are leveraging WSL now as a backend. A lot of toolkits for developers are now recommending WSL for users on Windows. So even if there's not a native Windows option, they're now referring users to WSL. And in a sense, it's adding a slice of pie to the overall Linux pie. But it's also, and this is something I identified early on, it's bringing new people to Linux. It's bringing people who aren't going to dual boot or can't dual boot into the Linux ecosystem. It's introducing traditional Windows and Microsoft developers, you know, who are working in Visual Studio, who have worked in .NET for five, 10 years to building for Linux and building for things like cloud native, which, you know, while we have things like Windows containers, Linux is certainly predominant in the cloud native and Kubernetes ecosystems. So it serves as an on-ramp in a way that I don't think you should have to come into Linux the way I came into Linux, which was frustratingly spending days recompiling kernels to try to get my video card to work. For the benefit of the listeners, Hayden and I used to work together at Canonical on WSL. And the WSL initiative at Canonical, which was to bring Ubuntu to WSL, was under the banner of the Ubuntu desktop team. 
And, you know, we used to say, well, this is Ubuntu just on somebody else's desktop at that time. You know, we were, we were bringing the Ubuntu experience to a different desktop, but it was part of the desktop team's remit to sort of grow and expand the use of Ubuntu to wherever people wanted to use Ubuntu. And I'm not going to reveal numbers, but it was fantastically popular <laughs> so this is ubuntu on wsl was fantastically popular the growth rate was well it was a hockey stick basically it was <laughs> pretty remarkable but it was in no danger of overtaking desktop linux it wouldn't have mattered if it did i don't think because it's just another group of people using ubuntu slash linux elsewhere in the same way that you know there are people using linux in all sorts of interesting ways you know be it on embedded devices through yocto or you know supercomputers you know there there is a place for linux just about everywhere i think that the kind of person who listens to a podcast like this may be in our bubble and our bubble is generally the bubble of desktop linux users and we consider that we are normal linux users but I don't think that we are normal Linux users. I think that you, Hayden, are a normal Linux user. There are millions and millions of people out there who use Linux every single day over SSH or via orchestration tools in the cloud or on bare metal, perhaps in data centers. But most Linux users don't use Linux on the desktop. And that's something that is so easy to forget if you're in our bubble. So I'm sure that We've pissed a lot of people off by having you on this show, Hayden, because, oh, you're not a proper Linux user, and we've, we've discussed various uh, gatekeeping things and stuff before. But the reality is that you are far more of an average Linux user than anyone else on this show or any other Linux podcast. Yeah. I mean, your average Valley startup or even remote startup now, they're building on Linux, but they're mostly using MacBooks. So having the combination of an identical Linux user space to where you're targeting is particularly powerful. But there's one thing we can't separate this from, which is that WSL is on Windows, which is sponsored by Microsoft. And Microsoft has a complex history with Linux and open source. And this is something else that attracts me to WSL. And part of it is Microsoft's transformation into an open source first company. <laughs> really, truly. <laughs> and I have a repository called Microsoft Open Source that tracks the history of open source in Microsoft starting in the early 2000s, starting with a shared source initiative and moving forward. And you can see this generational shift at Microsoft beginning in the early 2000s, particularly with the new CEO, Satya Nadella, taking the reins, and more and more open source engagement, adoption of open source, you can see where they tested the waters and began working with their own licenses and then began adopting more standard FOSS industry licenses and began sponsoring projects and open sourcing their own projects to today. I mean, I consider Microsoft an open source player. Okay, so yeah, most of what you said that I agree with, and they are certainly an open source player, but 
To describe them as an open source first company, that is laughable, literally laughable to me. No. Because they make so much money from proprietary software, yet they're getting invested in open source and they see that as the future maybe. But right now, they're not an open source first company. You can't say that. Almost every cool new thing out of Microsoft in the last five years has been open source. Right. To some degree or another. But what makes them money? What makes them money is things like Xbox, Office, things that are not open source. What makes the money is Azure, which runs on Linux and free software. So what we have here is what we all dreamed of, which was Microsoft adopting open source and Linux in a responsible way. No, I think what a lot of people dreamed of was Microsoft going away Eh. and Linux winning. Maybe. But I mean, we, we talked about this on Linux After Dark at the very beginning of the show almost, as to what does it look like for Linux to win? And is that even a thing that we should care about? And I think some people do, but we, well, I think the conclusion we came to was that, no, we shouldn't care about that. But I think in the real world, us winning looks something like Microsoft doing stuff like WSL and Azure and realizing that open source is a way that they can make lots of money and that we will all benefit to some small extent from that. If we're talking about Linux, the kernel, the software is the kernel, it won some considerable time ago. If you look at the number of devices that are not powered by Linux on the planet, then you're basically looking at, you know, Windows PCs, Mac OS and iOS devices. Now, the iOS devices make up a sizable chunk, but that's manfully countered by Android. Mm. If you look at everywhere else Linux is running, it's absolutely dominant. It it powers everything from knitting machines to cow milking devices to satellites. It's it's used everywhere. So it's not about Linux winning, I don't think. It's about whether or not that those of us that choose to use Linux on a desktop have sufficient tools and computing parity with any other platform. There are still those corners of the Linux community that do want to see Linux destroy Microsoft, that do see ending Microsoft as an endgame. However, I think what we've achieved is even better with Microsoft's toolkits now supporting Linux. You know, you can build .NET apps for Linux and Windows. So Microsoft, in terms of their developer tooling, does not limit you to developing for Windows. You can develop for Mac, you can develop for Linux, you can develop for Android. You have multiple UI toolkits you can choose from to target all of those different platforms. The funny thing about Microsoft is that most of the people I work with at Microsoft, about half of them, weren't even alive in the late 90s. (laughs) And to the extent, like, there was a contingent of Linux users who wanted to destroy Microsoft, that version of Microsoft was destroyed. And there is a newer Microsoft that I do think, for the most part, is open source first when it comes to .NET tooling, which is their primary developer tooling. When it comes to projects like WSL, a lot of which, which is open source, Windows Terminal, which is open source, PowerToys, which is open source, all of the Azure tooling, custom extensions for uh, PostgreSQL, like Citus, which is fully open source. All these acquisitions by Azure, which then they open source and make available for anyone to run on-prem or on other clouds. You know, Of course, 
you know, they want you to use it on Azure, but is all open source. And we have to encourage good behavior. So short of destroying Microsoft, or at least destroying that version of Microsoft that we all saw as the enemy in the late 90s, I think what we got out of it is something better. You are right to some extent, but you're also wrong because Microsoft is this massive, massive organization. And yes, there are a lot of young people who weren't even around back in the early days. And there is a lot of enthusiasm for open source and Linux in Microsoft. But I think that because it's such a big organization that is is probably in conflict with itself, certain teams being really pro Linux and open source and certain teams, not so much. But I don't think as a whole you can say that Microsoft is this changed organization. Uh, It might be moving in that direction and we might have made a lot of progress or they might have made a lot of progress. But I think that it could pull back the other way relatively easily and relatively quickly if the money wasn't there for them in open source. So, you know, I know you're very enthusiastic about it, but I, I think we have to have some balance here, mostly because we'll just get emails telling us that we uh, <laughs> we forgot to say we're sponsored by Microsoft again or something. Well, I think you're right in that Microsoft is hardly a monolith. It does not act with one mind. It is many teams within many different divisions, sometimes with competing interests. But where I see what I would consider good, responsible, open source behavior by Microsoft, I'm going to encourage that and I'm going to defend it against blanket statements about, you know, Microsoft still being what it was 20 years ago. And when Microsoft makes mistakes, and they sometimes do, you know, I'm going to back channel feedback about that. And if that fails, I'll publicly raise concerns. And when that happens, it becomes articles in TechCrunch. (laughs) Yeah. And most recently, Microsoft heard our feedback about commercial open source apps in the App Store, and they changed course after hearing from a couple of us publicly. So they're just like any big organization. There are competing interests. There are internal politics. There are conflicts that happen that I'm aware of within the organization at Microsoft. But in general, when I look back at that transformation that began around 2001, 2002, compared to where they are, it's hard to deny that there's been a lot of progress across the board. So your point taken, they're not perfect. I would like to see any tech company that is perfect on open source. Certainly, there are some cloud providers that have some questionable open source participation Mm. in terms of taking open source projects and commercializing them for themselves and running off with them. And I would compare that behavior to what Azure does when it partners with open source projects doing the same thing, but not necessarily just taking them and making them their own product and leaving the original company to fend for itself. So point taken, but I think on balance, there's been significant progress. So, and I think WSL, as it relates to Linux desktop, is a net gain for Linux desktop specifically in terms of bringing developers to the platform, making it easier to develop Linux desktop applications, and for developers who may previously have only developed for Windows. 
I agree that having Microsoft behaving responsibly and the money and influence that they bring to the technological environment, having them being responsible open source and Linux contributors is far better than not. So I'm all for that. But just to tip this conversation on its head, the audio and video latency issues that I was struggling with just before we started recording this podcast were due to updates that were downloading on the computer behind me, which is a Linux-powered games console, which is running Proton, an implementation of Windows APIs on top of Linux. And the update that was being pulled down was for Forza 5, which is a game from Microsoft Studios for Xbox. So here I am, a Linux user, running, in air quotes, Windows on Linux in order to play games. So this running foreign operating systems in different places, that rubs both ways. Well, do let us know what you think, dear listener. Show at linuxdowntime.com is the email address if you want to... uh, agree with us or disagree with us, tell us about your WSL experiences, tell us that the sky is falling because Microsoft is uh, coming to kill Linux. It's it's done the embrace and extend, now it's going to extinguish. I don't think that any of us believe that somehow, but maybe you do. Anyway, we'll be back in a couple of weeks then, but until then, I've been Joe. I've been Martin. And I've been Hayden. See you later. <laughs>